Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today is Kevin Ford. Kevin Ford is an indie director who co-directed and edited the film component of The Bomb. And you're going to want to know about The Bomb, but uh, we'll talk a lot about that. First of all, Kevin Ford, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure. A little more about The Bomb. The Bomb was, uh, first of all, we're talking about the bomb as in nuclear. You know, most of us of a certain age... uh, think that after the Cuban Missile Crisis, that was the end of uh, atomic bombs. But as Kevin's going to tell us, and as the bomb, the film, surrounds us in that truth, it's not over. The bomb will premiere on April 23rd through 24th at uh, New York City's Gotham Hall, and it will be the closing event of the 2016 Tribeca Film Festival. Kevin, we've asked how you are, but you come with a heavy message how ignorant are we of the reality of nuclear bombs in the 21st century? Well, I'll use myself as an example. And before collaborating with Eric Schlosser, who wrote Command and Control, yes. I thought nuclear weapons was something pretty much from my childhood. Mm. And I grew up in the 80s, and I was at the tail end of, um, you know, nuclear threat, you know, United States and Russia was a big talking point when I was a kid, but even then I was very detached from the reality of what a nuclear weapon even was. It was just kind of something I heard about. And, you know, then um, over the years, it's just something that you kind of hear about. You hear this country is developing nuclear weapons or trying to. The United States has some, but I really thought that it was a thing of the past. And I didn't even give it much thought, which is actually kind of worse. Mm-hmm. Just didn't think about it. And and then my friend Eric wrote this book, Command and Control. And he said, I've got this book coming out, and I would love for you to help me to make a short film to go out with the release of the book. Mm-hmm. And he called it a book trailer, but it was kind of a short film. And uh, I said, well, of course, this sounds like an exciting thing. And this was back in in uh, 2012 when he approached me. Mm-hmm. And so at the start of 2013, he gave me the manuscript version of his book. So it wasn't published yet. Mm-hmm. And I read through the, the book in a week and I was stunned. Mm. And I, I'll tell you why I was stunned because not only did I realize that this was still a problem, and that it was the most dangerous form of weaponry that has ever existed. But I also realized that even a small accident could change the course of history. Oh, yes. And I thought of it as a tool for war, and what you don't want is for the enemy to launch a nuclear weapon at you, and you probably don't even want to launch one at them. But it never had occurred to me an accident. 
Mm-hmm. And I I have accidents all the time. Ask my wife. I'm clutchy. Yes. Mm. So it terrified me when I started reading Eric's books because he didn't do the obvious, you know, and just go into the fear of war. He mm-hmm. made it very relatable. And it was something like you or I could accidentally trip and drop a socket from a wrench and cause a nuclear accident. And that actually happened. And that's, you know, the basis of one of the main accidents he talks about in his book. So that's what really disarmed me or alarmed me, I guess the the word. Um, I I just never thought of it that way. And and to realize the repercussions of one, even just one accident could wipe out, we're talking a whole state because the weapons of course have gotten more powerful Mm -hmm. over time. Yes. So I'm sufficiently freaked out after making the short film with him, which came out for the book. And then I, and, and Eric always said, because I didn't do this to, to freak people out. If anything, I want you to enjoy your life more. Yes. You know, appreciate the fact that we're not, you know, dealing with a nuclear attack right now or, you know, an accident, but just be aware that it can happen. He said, but, you know, not like you have to go live in a bunker. Yes. And, and that, so after the short film, I kind of thought I was done. I went just actually didn't really want to think about nukes anymore. I went yeah, back exactly. to my independent films. <laughs> and then they approached me with the bomb. He and my partner, Smriti Kashari, uh-huh. they got together and dreamt up a multimedia experience. And so Eric called one day and he said, hey, remember all the footage you went through to make the short film mm-hmm. for Command and Control? I said, yes, I remember that very well. He said, well, how would you feel about diving in even deeper Oh, God. And I thought, oh, my God, how much deeper can we go? Yes. <laughs> well, we did it. And, and so Smitty and I immersed ourselves in uh, footage that Eric provided us and that we dug up ourselves and spent most of last year just in an archive mm-hmm. of footage and of weapons and of propaganda. And to this point, I feel like now I cannot ever pretend that we don't have this threat. And the, the one takeaway that I have, Marcelo, is we are our own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've created this. It didn't create itself. Yes. We've created it. And when I say we, that's humankind. It's not just one country. Yes. And so it's freaky. You know, it, it like so many things, it, it kind of started out or so they tell us in the history books. Uh, uh, first of all, we'd had such a, a colossal experience, colossal in every sense of that word, experience, devastating experience, human uh, experience of death in World War II, and Einstein comes along with this great uh, theory of uh, relativity, and we think, oh, here is a deterrent against any anything like World War II happening again. And we can stop it, you know, Truman said, uh, we'll make this bomb, we'll drop this bomb, and then the war will end. And, of course, the devastating was so great that the war did end. But our curiosity, our desire for power and control did not end. Uh, And it wasn't just a Cold War, even though we labeled it that because people stopped shooting for a while. Throughout the Cold War, as you were saying, that... Uh, nations that had this capability, Soviet Union, United States of America, were developing them all the while. And there are still, uh, uh, what, like 15,000 of them uh, in under the ground in various places, including the United States, uh, out in our Midwest especially. And they are, they're ready. They're sitting there. It just takes a button, you know, or an accident, as you say. And it does, uh, as all my climate change friends say, we don't warn you because we want you to go out and commit suicide or be depressed for the rest of your life. We warn you because uh-huh. we want you to appreciate life and maybe maybe behave differently and more amicably with your fellow human beings. Okay. All right. Well, okay. So to be clear, we've been talking to Kevin Ford about a couple of works, a book, a short film, and now The Bomb itself. Uh, Samriti Keshari and Eric Slosher uh, are the names. And we're up to 
a 55-minute film being projected in 360 degrees on massive floor-to-ceiling screens that surround the audience. Tell us why that platform. <laughs> when we first sat down at a coffee shop, which was kind of like a uh, blind date, a creative <laughs> blind date. Yes. Eric set us up, and he said, I think you guys will really get along and hear her out. She has this idea. Mm. And so I sat down with Smriti, and she's, you know, she knows that I've been making films for some time and kind of work in a pretty traditional way where, you know, you look at a screen and you edit what's there, and then you show that to people on one screen. Yes. But she had seen a an installation herself and was moved by it where there was music and there was film kind of surrounding an audience. Yes. And she described how it it really made her uncomfortable standing in a space and being forced to look at something in a different way. And I think she was referring to an Adam Curtis and Massive Attack collaboration that she saw in New York. And I could be wrong about that, but mm. I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And she said it was something about the visuals and that she wasn't just comfortably sitting in a chair looking at a, a screen, that it made the imagery and the message of the piece stick with her more. Yes. And she said, so knowing Eric's book as much as I did, she goes, imagine if we could put people in the book, in the information. Yes. And so inside the box. And so it's surrounding you, and you don't know where to look. And instead of feeling like you're in control of it, it's almost overwhelming to you because it's surrounding you, it's engulfing you. And yet, you can't tune it out, you can't kind of pause it. It's it's the live music also is kind of engaging you, so you kind of don't want to leave. It's a, it's a, It's a beautiful live show with music and so she's pitching this to me and I thought yeah this is amazing and I had read the book I knew the information and I thought what a cool other way to experience it mm. of course Eric Eric has already teamed up with um, Robbie Kenner mm-hmm. and made Food Inc yes and they've made an actual documentary called Command and Control that is based off the book so it's a very you know literary kind of literal interpretation of some of the events in the book. Yes. So Eric had already covered that ground, the, the traditional documentary. He had the book, but even he felt this visceral, poetic experience would be yet another way to deliver the message. I, so I, I joined up at that point, and based off of what Smriti described, now that said, we didn't exactly know, and we still don't, how this is going to play and feel mm-hmm. in that space surrounding us. Yes. Neither, neither she, Eric, or I have had the chance yet to stand in it and surround ourselves yeah. with it. And it's, we'll have some tech rehearsals in the moments before Tribeca. But really, we'll be standing there experiencing it for the first time with the, with the live crowd. Wow. And you know, <laughs> it's it's got to be terrifying and exhilarating all at the same time because that is it is by the way this whole surround sound which of course trivializes what you're really doing with the live band for instance of the acid and from floor to ceiling and all around you but all the images that we have of bombs going off. We're used to the mushroom cloud but there's also another image and that's that swirling uh, in on itself yeah. and out, that that's, I think, what that's going to be like, that you're standing, as you say, at the, at the center, at the core of the, the bomb blast. And it's not a mushroom cloud, it's this, this, um, this swirling that sucks you into it like a, a tornado turning sure. in on itself. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. I, 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 um, uh, well, have you looked through a kaleidoscope? Oh yes, yes. Know, That's a... sometimes so you, you look at one fixed object, but then you rotate it, and it forms these incredible patterns. Yes, that you're, you know, it stumps your mind. And recently, I had the chance to see a rendering 
of what this show is going to be like. And the company from uh, the UK, United Visual Artists, is doing our projection, and they've helped to create the actual space that the audience will be standing in in mm-hmm. Tribeca. Mm-hmm. They gave us a rendering, and so what they did was they took our film and they put it in a simulator, and so you see the film projected 360 degrees, and it's basically split across eight screens. Wow. And so this, what I'm looking at in the rendering is kind of a bird's eye perspective, Mm -hmm. and you see the screens in a circle from the air as if you're kind of in the rafters. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. I was blown away because even though I spent almost a year editing the film, Mm -hmm. I had never seen it simultaneously playing nine times at once in this circular pattern. And what happened was very much this kaleidoscope effect. Yes. Where suddenly, whether it was soldiers marching or missiles launching or even blueprints of nuclear weapons, it formed like its own patterns yes (laughs) so when i go and see this thing live in new york i'm i'm already thinking this is going to be incredible because it's not just the film now that we've edited but it it takes on a new life when it's in this circular pattern yes that i until i saw that rendering even i couldn't fully appreciate how watching those soldiers march it almost feels like suddenly you're inside of a living organism. Exactly, and and we are. We we are. We have already been consumed by the bomb uh, when we step in the center, even before we get the visual, because we are we are surrounded by it. And and we should mention the live score of the Acid, the band that will be playing, yes. uh, will in the center of the space as well. So the music will be there, and the visuals will be there, and. There we stand, surrounded by what uh, what dreams may come, you know. And the band is at the very center. They're like the core of this experience, the nuclear core, if you will. Yes. They're like right in the dead center. So that was a there was a choice to not have them say elevated on some kind of a stage uh-huh. where you're you're kind of looking at them, and then the, sh- the film is just kind of happening on the side or something. Like, we're all in this together. We're all in, exactly, and, exactly. Yeah, and, and the music, I can tell you, that they've made is itself mind-blowing. You could shut your eyes and probably still take away a lot of the, the feeling that we want you to take mm. just from the, the music because they made this in conjunction with our picture. So as we got deeper and deeper in on various rough cuts, the band was in real time watching mm. those cuts and mm. then kind of giving us music as like a dialogue back. Yes. And we would tweak the visuals accordingly and then somehow back and forth, we all just kind of did this together. Talk about collaboration. Wow, that's, uh, that's it, it is a nice mixture of the old days when the orchestra li- literally sat in a, uh, a studio, you know, and watch the film to make certain that the music that was composed was matching every frame but you guys have taken that uh, a millennium further. It's, um, it is the age we live in, and at least if we are going to create things that can destroy humankind, it is good that we also have people like you and Eric and Samariti and, and the Acid that uh, can create things that help us to understand so we can avoid the catastrophic we can stop being our own worst enemy and, you know, plant flowers over those uh, atomic bombs sitting out there. Anyway, we're going to take a short break. This is mind-boggling and at the same time uh, welcoming to we need to expand our minds, our thoughts, our brains, our experience, our our willingness to see the truth. That's what it is, our willingness to see the truth. We need to expand that, and this uh, event uh, on April 23rd, 24th at the School of Visual Arts, um, the film itself, The Bomb, will be taking place as the closing event of the 2016 Tribeca Film Festival uh, at the uh, New York City's Gotham Hall. 
but on uh, we're going to come back in a bit and we're going to talk about where Michael Douglas fits in this and um, and also let's talk to Kevin Ford about some of the other work he's done which included uh, the party's over with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman one of my all-time favorites we'll be right back stay with us catch your breath but don't go away stay with us Now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. What drives people to risk their lives for adventure? Is adrenaline such a powerful drug that it can drive us to endure killer pain? To take an insurmountable risk where the odds favor death? Meru is a riveting documentary film revealing just such an adventure. Three elite mountain climbers are attempting to climb the never-climbed Shark's Fin, atop India's Mount Meru, a sheer granite slab rising to the heavens out of a mountain of ice. It makes Everest look like a picnic. We climb with them, thrilling to scenery that exists above a bubbling cauldron of clouds down below. Alas, 120 meters below the peak in clear view overhead, a decision must be made. Descend or die. The extraordinary climbing sequences are a view into nature's manic heart that most of us will never encounter. Just as fascinating is the story behind the three climbers. Why are they driven to a quest everyone agrees is beyond human capability? What is this obsession, this monster that roils against fear, drawing them back to the furious heavens? Physically and mentally devastated by their first failure, they resist. But the siren call of Mount Meru wails strong, and they return. Meru, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today is independent film director Kevin Ford, who has uh, worked for you know over twenty years, but he's uh, run into some new stuff, some uh, mind-blowing things with uh, my old friend, if I may say, uh, Simriti Kashari and Eric Schlosser, who've been on the show before. We have Kevin today. They are have created a film called The the Bomb, which is more than a film, just as The Bomb is more than a bomb. Nuclear uh-huh. weapons are still out there. And one of the, the many artists involved here, the, you know, the cinematography, of course, there's the space itself that we've talked about, and we'll talk about some more. There's the music of the acid band. Uh, but there's also the vision of of people who are animating and um, artistic design. Tell us a bit about those, uh, the, that duo for us, uh, 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 Kevin. Yes, so it's the artist Stanley Donwood and his brother Adam, who goes by the name Kingdom of Lead. They came on board, and Stan Donwood has spent most of his time as the artistic director of the band Radiohead. And so he is responsible for all of this amazing artwork over the years that they've done for their album covers and things like that. Mm-hmm. But he also, on his own, makes incredible artwork and so happens to have been greatly inspired over the years by this very topic of nuclear weapons mm. and the dangers of it. So when you actually scan through and look at many pieces of his artwork, you'll see this kind of reoccurring theme uh, well before he joined up with our project. So it was a natural fit. Um, Eric and Smitty approached him. Uh-huh. He was on board. And so what they what they did, the easiest way to describe it, is they brought to life, he and his brother, mm-hmm. um, sections of our film that take you inside the nuclear weapons so they took some of the documents that Eric dug up in his research and actually brought them to light wow. so that the words are kind of being typed out or written out or that the blueprints are kind of coming together. Mm-hmm. The different components of the bomb you see coming together. At other times, they they treated sections of the film with, a, for lack of a better term, a psychedelic wash. Mm. <laughs> they, so they, in every sense, the idea was to say, all right, we can all 
go on the internet right now and start digging up and finding clips of nuclear weapons and testing and all that stuff. There's quite a bit of it out there, you know, just on the internet. But if you come and you experience it in the form of this multimedia experience, the bomb, there will be this original artwork that mm. takes you through and adds its own layer that, and of course, spread around the multimedia uh, environment like we've described already. Yes. And it is mind-blowing, again, like any other element of the bomb. If you just plug your ears, tune out the acid, forget about our, you know, the film that we've made, and just open your eyes for the sections that Stanley Donwin and his brother have animated, you will walk away with a feeling of urgency and concern. Yes. They've done something completely on their own that stands out uh, as a part of the film. But it, as, as with everything else, all these components come together and just take it to the next level. When we were editing, we always knew we would have their artwork involved. Mm. And I'm a pretty good editor, but, you know, the best I could do in the rough cut was kind of do a slow zoom in on a, on a blueprint or a diagram, uh-huh. you know, to simulate this will be a section where the Donwoods are going to, you know, do some cool artistic yes. version of a blueprint coming to life. And for me, you know, as a, as a standard kind of editor, okay, I'll kind of zoom in on a diagram and then dissolve it into another diagram. And that, to me, you know, just symbolized, okay, in this section, they're going to do something amazing. Yes. But when we started getting the artwork back from them and dropping it back into the film, yes. oh my God, my mind was blown. Mm. And so I can sit here straight faced and say, if for no other reason, even if you don't like our film and if you can't stand the acid, you got to see what these guys have done. It is mind-blowing and of course a, a little sample of it you can see the trailer will be dropping soon and you can see it in there we used it a lot um and then also they've done the poster artwork for the film um so i can't say enough about these guys and what's cool is we've all worked from different places so standard mm-hmm. in the uk his brother is in australia mm. we cut the film here in la and our you know, many of our post elements were done in New York. So wow. it was a real concerted effort only through the magic of today's technology. Exactly. We really all even do such a thing. So anyway, it's uh, pretty exciting. I know. I often say with today's technology, uh, geography is, you know, distance is a, is a, a, a some zero now. You can be anywhere and create together. And, and that is a, that is the beautiful side of technology, for sure. Yes, for, for sure. And, you know, our biggest challenge goes back to a simple human thing, though, of the sleep cycle, because we're yes. all on this different time zone. <laughs> yes. That sometimes you'd have to turn a cut and, and send it, and the guy in Australia's got to wake up, but it's, it's half a day, you know, or it's a, a day ahead over there or whatever. You know, we were always yes. kind of like, you know, limited in that way. Mm-hmm. But other than that, the actual technology could be shared out almost instantly. And, uh, and I yeah, think so that was really interesting. And I think I'm taking from uh, much of what you've said, especially in this segment, that each artistic component coming together makes this enormously impressive, mind-changing, we hope, a vision of something that is bigger than all of us and puts us right in the center of it. But in addition to that collaboration, to that combination, each of the artistic components stands alone as a great achievement as well. Absolutely. And, and it might you even it. it might even demand seeing it more than once. You know, we do that with regular films, but maybe we do. You might want to think about that as, uh, you know, you need to go back so that you can focus on all, you know, you get the entire impact, but maybe you need to return and so that we can divide and conquer, so to speak. I don't know. Just a thought, not really trying to get more ticket sales for you, but maybe that's really a practical, sensible thing to consider. Well, it's very true. And you know what? If you come more than once, 
um, as Eric Schlosser put it the other day when we spoke, it is like live theater. Yes. I mean, let's not forget the band is performing live at the yes. center of this. Yes. Anything can happen. Yes. And, you know, there could be subtle variations between performances and, not to mention, maybe one performance you get so transfixed with the band that you miss what's happening on the screen behind you because also the genius of United Visual Artists, they're not just simply pushing a button and projecting it on eight screens at once. Uh-huh. They they have very, with, our, with coordinating with us, very carefully mapped out certain sections where those eight screens become two. Mm-hmm. So the film is projected once in front of you and maybe something else is happening behind you. Uh-huh. Or every other screen uh, is a different image. I mean, you don't know what's coming next when you're standing in this thing. So it's not like it's just so predictable that it's always just the film eight times around you. Like, it's very strategically mapped out. Mm. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. That's, you again, know. Just from the rendering I saw, I thought, oh, my gosh. There's, I've never been involved with anything like this. And as you mentioned before, I've been in this stuff for about 20 years. Yes. And this is definitely the... the biggest kind of team effort multimedia experience I've ever actually had a chance to be a part of. Kevin, what do you think about uh, children? You know, as Eric has written, half the population of the U.S. were not yet born or were children when the Cold War ended. So there's a profound lack of knowledge about nuclear weapons. And what about uh, how, uh, what age children should families, parents bring to see this, do you think? Well, there's a great friend um, and an inspiration of my life, Richard Linklater, the filmmaker. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. He, saw, he saw a cut of the film, not the final version, but he saw a cut early on uh-huh. when we were still in process, just as a friend checking it out. Sure. We have, you know, have a discussion about it. He said uh, he wanted to show his daughter's who I believe are 10 or 11 now. Mm-hmm. And so there's not, I, I didn't get the sense that it was that it was to freak them out, but I think he wanted to, I think the idea was that, that this is so important that it does need to be shared even with children. Now I can tell you there's nothing intentionally graphic that is designed to freak people out. We were uh-huh. very sensitive about that. Again, you can go online and find all of the graphic stuff that you want if you want. Sure. But for this experience, it's intense enough to just suggest certain things. So there is there is a section where we deal with Hiroshima, but it's very delicate and it's very respectful. And, um, and so it's not about anything being gratuitous. You're not going to see something. Now, again, you can walk away from this experience, and if you're curious, then you actually might find the stuff that is even more shocking you know, on that level. And I'm sure a parent would probably be involved with their child if their child wanted to research it further. Yeah, you know, I ask because I was uh, way too young to know what was really going on during the Cuban Missile Crisis, but I watched my parents and uncles and family and everybody standing in long lines to get into church and mass and confession and people crying uh, and whispering so I knew something was going on, and I ask because I think we've passed an age where we can just, you can't protect children from truth anymore. You just can't. I mean, in the sense that beyond the fact that children can, you know, are walking around with smartphones, which are nothing but computers to the world, but beyond that, I mean, you cannot afford to not be honest and completely truthful with children because we are we've given them a world that they we could have never have expected at their age and they need to be prepared for the possibilities information and education is still the most powerful thing okay back to april 23rd the school of visual arts you're going to have a uh, discussion afterwards that's going to include michael douglas the oscar-winning actor who's also an advocate against the proliferation of uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, I've always enjoyed Michael Douglas. Uh, 
especially as when he plays the president. And uh, uh, it seems a natural marriage. But how did when did he become a part of this uh, team that's going to be talking with Tribeca? Exactly. And I and I think it's not too much to say that, number one, what I was going after when I said that, you know, people were so young, children need to know this. Uh, half the world's population wasn't alive during the Cold War, et cetera, et cetera, is that uh, a new generation needs to become aware that this exists because we forget about them. I mean, let's face it, if Donald Trump weren't around talking about threatening to use nuclear weapons... Mm-hmm. I'm not certain any of us would, I mean, you guys, yes, of course, but the general public would not even be aware. We wouldn't be thinking about it. Right. And the idea of... Everything. Everything. It's important, I think, to mention also that people who think that the movies, the documentaries that they see of Hiroshima, that that's what you and I are talking about today, and it isn't. The the nuclear bomb is so much more powerful and so all-destroying 
well beyond what was dropped at the end of World War II. There is just no comparison. And there is nothing left. There is there's no air fit to breathe, no food to eat, no, you know, just no, there's nothing. That's what the nuclear option gives us in the 21st century. It gives us nothing, nothing. Anyway. Exactly, and it's a, it's a terrible idea, but it's like a, an old, you know, movie where you've, you've got all the bad guys at the end and everybody's just holding a gun at one another. Mm. And you got the good guys mixed in and everybody's, everybody's pointing a weapon at someone else mm. and no one wants to be the first one to drop it. And basically, it boils down to that. <laughs> and then, by the way, you've got others who are like pushing their way in because they just want to be in that circle to be able to point a weapon and it's just it's just really absurd when you think of it and boil it down to that it's like no one wants to be the one to drop it so we're in a real pickle yes again again if one of those guys sneezes and misfires his weapon yes boom 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 you got the ripple effect exactly also what we're talking about one country accidentally has a technical problem. And by the way, when you read Eric's book, this has happened. This isn't a theory. Yes, um, that's this right. This has happened where we've had some false alarms. A solar flare once, you know, signaled an alarm, and we thought Russia was launching a weapon at us. And yes. Thankfully, it was, uh, it was determined at the last second that, no, that was actually a glitch. Mm. And it, it was not an actual... But, you know, we're at a volatile moment where if somebody flinches or someone even thinks someone else is launching, watch out. Exactly. Everything that we know and cherish is pretty much gone or altered forever. All right. We're we're going to have to stop, but let's uh, let everyone know how to get tickets. Tickets are available, I believe, online, www.com. TribecaFilm.com backslash festival. Also, if you go to TheBombNow.com, it takes you right into that ticket portal and it has a lot of other information about the project. And we'll, after Tribeca, even in the future, we would love to have many more showings in places all over the world that that might be a good place to remember keep track of us. Yes, give the us that now. give us that one more time, uh, Kevin. The bomb yeah, the bomb now dot com. Okay. All right. Well we have been talking to independent film maker, director, DP, he's done it all for over twenty years, Kevin Ford, collaborating with my old radio friends at least, Riti <laughs> Keshari and Eric Slosser in The Bomb. Michael Douglas will be on hand as well on April 23rd for a Tribeca talk. But this will, the bomb, will be the closing event of the 2016 Tribeca Film Festival, which tells you how how important uh, that institution thinks this movie is. It is a 55-minute film with, uh, that is will be projected uh, 360 degrees on massive floor-to-ceiling screens that surround you as the audience and the band, the acid, as well as they play. Thank you so much, Kevin Ford, for being on the show today. And and I think, and Kevin, you correct me if I'm wrong, I think the message of the film and, and of Kevin is live a better life. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Be a better person. We don't have to be destroyers. What do you say, Kevin? Right. Take us out. I would only add, wake up. Yes. Wake up. Thank you so much, Kevin. We wish you and the bomb, or the film anyway, all the very best, and uh, the best right, to well, you, your entire team. Uh, thank you, and it was a pleasure to chat with you, and maybe it'll happen again on another project, or I, more on this project. Later. I look forward to that. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye now. Take care. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. 
the offspring of those living alternative lifestyles face challenges unique to themselves. This was certainly the case for the Angulo family, the focus of the documentary, The Wolf Pack. Mom and Pop were free spirits, living off the energy of youth. Once trekker guides in Peru, they stopped off in New York on their way to a perceived Scandinavian heaven and got stuck in a high-rise project. As their family grew, true to their nature, they gave each child an ancient Sanskrit name and sheltered them completely from dangers lurking beyond their apartment door. Growing up with little contact with the outside world, six brothers learned of life through an accumulated collection of films creating their own reality, a reality rendered through Batman and Quentin Tarantino. In their sheltered world, they recreated scripts of their favorite films, building sets, creating props and costumes, and acting all the parts. When teenage rebellion set in, one brother adventured an escape. Predictably, he dressed in costume and mask and was detained and committed. First contact with society thus established, the outside world leached in. The Wolf Pack is a fascinating documentary that begins with a state of dread and ends with an inkling of hope. Could such an unusual childhood possibly lead to a happy life? The Wolf Pack. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Find us on the web at IndieFilmMinute.com. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. When ignorance leads by example. Thankfully, we have the example of Peter, a man called Pope Francis I, leading by following the saintly example of love for all life upon earth reminiscent of a universe as great as clean flowing rivers and as small as the pollinators of our dwindling food chain. When peaceful protest is met with violence, is not our American rainbow stained tea-browned with a confederacy of hypocrisy, ending not with gold but thirty pieces of silver? How can an under-informed mob led by myopic example deliver us from the wide gate and broad road to self-destruction when, like herded sheep, we're hell-bent on reincarnating the dust to ashes of 1431 flamethrowers consuming a listening saint for winning? Must we continually follow examples that embed McCarthyism in our DNA? Leading by an example of denial, Republicans, feigning parting the Red Sea, stain our true blue American desire for all-inclusive exceptional opportunity by phasing out Lincoln's preserved nation with red-hot KKK pride, bailout envy, oil wrath, pharmaceutical gluttony, evangelical Christian house speaker lust, GOP Governor Sloth, and Wall Street Banker Greed. When nature is last up at bat, will earth be struck out or hit away into the bowels of the great red dragon of a feudal grand old party? When ignorance leads by example, are not mob rule, fear, and hate its clarion in hot pursuit of an enslaved past as prologue for abuse of reasonable thought? Perhaps if we could but touch the hem of his garment, revelation would be humanity's enlightenment. Wisdom can transform our knowledge into a balance within the trinity of national security, individual happiness, and global sustainability. Each day the sun, arguably our celestial brother, inspires expectation, promising, with human cooperation, fulfillment through a harmonious earthly ensemble. At the end of our days, if, having lived as a good Samaritan example, we will have earned the right of passage to the ultimate freedom, the peace that transcends our hearts and minds with mutual acceptance. Although nothing is guaranteed, especially when those claiming to be right think it's good to deny different POVs the freedom of making choices like speech, not money talks, how to die, non-repetitive media gossip, voting in elections, ten from Moses or ten from Madison, or both or neither, giving birth or not, peaceful as in non-violence against protesters, assembly, 
Dare we dream also income parity, sexual preferences allowed, gender self identification, equal economic opportunity, and the freedom to petition the government for a redress of grievances concerning any of the above? So what leads are we following for peace on earth and a peace of earth surviving corporatism, global warming, and human overconsumerism? We have more choices than the extremes of a CIA Bay of Pigs and Tibetan Shangri-La, but not as much time to make them, as climate injustices march ever closer to abrupt loss of clean and plentiful water, food, and air with the immediacy of vanishing species. This planet is the last remnant of a kingdom entrusted to our stewardship, so is life to be both metaphor and reality of global potential at war with individuals missing the point? By what example shall we lead? Disasters at nuclear plants? Russian planes buzzing American ships? TV peddling talking cokeheads? Mass appeal for media hype of papal handshake? New nukes for new Cold War? Or, even if unable to avoid or reverse, leading by multiple examples of human kindness. Let us choose to lead, not by ignoring nor denial, but by being the solid rock on which all living on earth can build a life of liberty in the pursuit of happiness. Humankind is not alone, but if we continue acting like we are, we soon will be. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.